Please pray with me. Father, we look to You. We ask that this passage of Scripture would ring in our hearts that we might uh, more fully be able to join our hearts with our brothers and sisters who are suffering shame, disgrace, oppression, persecution for the sake of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. Amen. You know, I've been familiar with this psalm for some time, but I never imagined that I would choose to preach it. The heart-melting, tear-filled, raw emotion of this psalm makes it difficult to hear and to dwell upon at any length. Charles Spurgeon said about this psalm that it is written in a strain of sensibility that must, must touch every soul that is capable of feeling. The author of this psalm was a Jewish exile that had been carried away from Judah and into Babylon. He was part of a Jewish community that likely was living there as slaves under the oppression of the Babylonians. But their affliction was not as bad for them as it was for those who were left um, Uh, left behind in Jerusalem. For those still in Jerusalem, life was especially rough. The city had been destroyed. The walls of the city had been broken down. The social structure of the society was devastated and their worship had been disrupted by the destruction of the temple. 2 Chronicles 36, verses 17 through 19 describes what happened when Jerusalem was sacked. So in 2 Chronicles, we read, God brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons. So, for those that had been carried into exile, life was at least intact. There was some semblance of normalcy. There was some semblance of security for those who had been carried into exile. But they were sad because they had been carried into exile and they were really grieved for their kinsmen uh, who were left in Jerusalem. But I think the grief here that we see expressed in Psalm 137 uh, was so deep 
was was unspeakable, really also unsingable, because they were most devastated that God's glory appeared to be impugned by the destruction of the temple. So they were grieved in their heart. And then to add insult to injury, their Babylonian slave masters were asking them to play some of the uh, songs of worship for them. Sing us some of the songs of Zion. So listen to verses 1 through 3 with this uh, in the background as to why they are so grieved. And by the way, it talks about them being by the waters of Babylon, uh, between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Uh, those two rivers flowed down to a point, and uh, between those two rivers they had a series of canals. Uh, some of our military folks in the congregation may have flown missions over Iraq and seen some of these canals. But uh, So there's a community dwelling here by the canals, and there are willows, willow trees that have grown up um, beside the canals, and they have taken their musical instruments, their lyres, and hung them in the trees because they cannot bring themselves to play music. So verses 1 through 3, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Most times playing music and singing can uplift the soul from its dark depression and grief. But there are times when the cloud of grief is so heavy that singing and music only seems to mock the soul. And silence and solitude are the only medicine that the soul will receive. The Jews were experiencing one of these times of deep sorrow. And then their Babylonian captors come up and ask them to sing and play the songs of Zion upon their harps, upon their lyres. Apparently the Jews refused. And in verse 4, they replied to their captors, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Have you been this this, this sad before in your life where you just couldn't sing? Where you just wanted to sit in silence? Well, this is where the Jews who were in exile in Babylon, this is where this group that wrote this um, this psalm, this is where they were uh, in their emotions. I think this psalm is very appropriate for our thoughts concerning the day of prayer for the persecuted church. Like the exiles, we are living in a culture that is somewhat antagonistic to the Christian faith. It's concerning that the trend line is portending even more antagonism in our culture. But, you know, it's not that bad. We still have freedoms. We still have security. We have everything that we could possibly need. We're not being hunted down by the police. 
Yet we, like the Jews who wrote this psalm, have brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering untold agonism. They are suffering under oppression, under suspicion, under mistreatment, imprisonment, and some are even living under an ongoing threat of death. And so this psalm teaches us that it is appropriate for us to mourn for them. They are part of the body of Christ. They belong to us, our brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution in other countries. And we belong to them because we all belong to Christ our Lord. Second, First uh, Corinthians 12, verses 26 and 27 says, If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, if you are the body of Christ, and, or, and now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You know, there's a kind of plant that I've heard about. It's called a touch-me-not plant. I don't know if any of you have heard of this touch-me-not plant. The technical name is a mimosa pedusia. And this plant, when you touch or shake or, or otherwise disturb the leaves, the leaves on the whole branch shrink up. They recoil. And I think this psalm is telling us that we should have such spiritual sympathy with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are suffering, that when they suffer, we should feel the effects ourselves. Listen to the sympathy, or, or better yet, not the sympathy, the empathy of the psalmist as he thinks of the circumstances back in Jerusalem. He feels their pain acutely. Verses 5 and 6. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. It's easy for us to get caught up in our own circumstances. You know, we have a crushing debt in our nation right now. We have an ongoing threat of terrorism in our nation right now. We have nearly a hundred million people that are out of the workforce who should otherwise be working. We have six undeclared wars that our nation is participating in. And we are at the apex of the most tumultuous election that we've experienced in our lifetimes. And some of you have lived a long time. It's easy to forget that we actually have it made in the shade here in our country compared to our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for no other reason other than their faith in Jesus Christ. As we remember our brothers and sisters who are suffering, I think it is important that we remember that God also remembers them. Their plight has never gone unnoticed by God. The book of Revelation teaches us that God's special gaze is upon those who are suffering for His sake. 
In Revelation 6, verses 9-11, through 11, John was allowed to see God open one of the seals. And this seal was dedicated to those who were murdered because of their testimony for Christ. So in, in Revelation 6, verses 9-11, through 11, when He opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the Word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before You will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And then in Revelation 7, right after this vision, uh, in Revelation 7, verses 13-17, through 17, God allowed John to see how much that God cares for those who have or are presently suffering for His name. So in Revelation 7, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And the people being described here were the people who gave their lives for their testimony to Jesus Christ. It's good to know that God cares for His children who are suffering persecution. It is good to know that their suffering is never in vain. But what does that have to do with us? How can our sympathy have any effect on our brothers and sisters who are suffering around the world? Revelation chapter 8, verses 1-5 through gives us some insight into how we and our sympathy with them blesses them. So Revelation 8, 1-5, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And if we were to go on reading in Revelation 8, the trumpets began to blow in response to these prayers that have been hurled down onto the earth. So, according to this passage, when we sympathize with our brothers and sisters, when we feel their pain, and we begin to then pray earnestly for them, our prayers ascend into heaven itself. They arrive on the altar of God. 
And they waft up to God as smoke, as incense in His nostrils. And then God dips a golden censer into our prayers. And He fills it up with our prayers. But our prayers for God's mercy for our suffering brothers and sisters around the world act as God's wrath toward their persecutors. And then God pours out the censer of His wrath upon those who make war against the saints. In other words, our sympathetic prayers are used directly by God to deliver His saints and punish His enemies. So we've scheduled a prayer meeting this evening. We're calling it a worship service. We're calling it a worship service for the the day of prayer for the persecuted church. But it is a prayer meeting if you boil it right down to what it is. We're going to meet in the fellowship hall. We're going to pray for an hour. And I want to encourage all of you to come out. And if we can't sit in the fellowship hall, we'll come over here to the sanctuary. But the book of Revelation tells us that our prayers do benefit our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering. Look at verses 7 through 9. But before I read it, notice that the psalmist is calling God to remember. It is not because God has forgotten. What's happening is the psalmist here in Psalm 137 is using a device to remind us that God always remembers. That He never forgets His people. He never forgets the wrongs done to His people. He never forgets those who do the wrongs to His people. So he says in verse 7, Remember, O Lord, He calls God to remembrance. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem. How they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. Edom is singled out for God's judgment in verse 7. See, the Edomites were rejoicing at the destruction of Jerusalem. Edom came from the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. The jealousy of Esau toward his brother was passed down from one generation to the next, century after century. Adam was going to receive then God's just retribution. They rejoiced at Jerusalem's destruction. We learned in Sunday school this morning as we were studying the book of Obadiah that they sold Jerusalem down the river that uh, they, uh, they were telling the Babylonians where the fleeing Jews had gone. They were, telling, uh, they were also moving into the towns after the Babylonians had, just, had uh, displaced the, the, the Jews and taken them back uh, in exile to Babylon. They were coming in and destroying or, or taking, o- taking over their towns. And so Edom is singled out they are going to receive God's just retribution. And then in verses 8 and 9, the psalmist turns his attention toward Babylon, the evil nation that had carried the Jews into exile and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. 
And so he's called God to remember what Babylon has done. And he knows that God indeed will remember. That God will pour out His just retribution upon Babylon. As Babylon has done to Jerusalem, so God will do to Babylon. So listen to verses 8 and 9. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be shall He be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall He be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Ancient warfare was unimaginably cruel. The fighting was not limited just to the combatants on the battlefield. The victor would then go and rape and enslave the women, kill the men of fighting age, and then go after the old and the infirm and the small children, both men and women, both boys and girls. And by so doing, they would destroy the future strength of their enemy by killing their young. So the psalmist knows that it will be just and fitting for God to do likewise to the Babylonians. Notice here that the psalmist is not praying for this to happen. When he says, Blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This word blessed, word in Hebrew, hesed. And uh, according to the context, this word hesed can mean blessed. It can mean happy. It can also mean right. And I think that's probably the best translation here is um, right, correct is the one who repays you with what you have done to us. Right or correct shall be he, shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them upon the rock. Because the psalmist, he's not calling for people to do this. He is saying it is right, it is fitting that this would happen because God is a just God. He is repaying them for the evil that they have done against the Jews. The psalmist is not bloodthirsty. He simply knows that God is just and that God will pour out His just judgment upon God's enemies. As we draw this sermon to a conclusion, I want you to remember above all else that God is going to set everything right. The blood of the martyrs and the oppression of the saints, they cry out in God's ears. He will hear. He does hear. He sees. And He will act. Our God is just. As we pray, we should not be bloodthirsty. We should pray for God's mercy upon our brothers and sisters. And we should pray that God would be merciful upon His enemies who are uh, causing the saints to suffer. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest persecutors of the church, was breathing out threats and violence against the Christians. And God was merciful to him. Romans chapter 5 says that we were God's enemies, but God was merciful to us. We should pray for mercy.
We should never ever be bloodthirsty towards our enemies. We are to love our enemies. But all the while, we should know that vengeance lies in God's hands and that He is a just God. And it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the um, of the holy God. So, this evening, love for you to come back out at six. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering, because God will hear our prayers. Let's pray, Father, as we have lifted up prayers already this morning for those who are suffering in different areas of the world and those areas that are um, most hostile to the Gospel. Lord, we do pray that that hostility would be reversed as You are a God of reversals. That You would use that hostility and even use the blood of the saints that has been spilled to act as fertilizer and seed for the growth of Your church where it is now outlawed. God, do a mighty work, we pray. And Lord, we pray, first of all, that our brothers and sisters are suffering. Second, help us to look outside ourselves to our own interest. Your interest those of our our dear brothers and sisters who are living for Christ under the threat of arrest or even death. We ask these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.